Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to first tell you the purpose of this sermon series is to help us gain some vision for the new year. Now, I'm not talking about Forestburg Baptist Church vision that we've been fleshing out last year, but rather it's a vision of spiritual growth. Make 2020 the year that we are focused as individuals and as a church on Jesus Christ. My personal opinion is, as you look at what's going on in our world around us today and in our own country, I think that persecution of Christianity is going to be even more prevalent in this year. We have to make sure that we are grounded firmly in our belief. Not only knowing what we believe, but why we believe it. We will make this year that you, I, we as a church, make Jesus the very center of our lives. Everything we do here at Forestburg Baptist Church, it needs to be focused upon, undergirded by our faith in Jesus Christ. Everything that we do is going to be intentional in reaching the lost world with the gospel. The whole thing about having the Bowler Jacks come in a concert is to reach people with the gospel. Everything that we do, uh, blast kids, once again, what's driving that is the gospel. Now, as we start this new year, and I've already mentioned this in the announcements about New Year's resolutions, 60% of people make New Year's resolutions. Jerry. Sorry, brother. Uh, and making a resolution is not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. A new year is an opportunity to seek improvement in your life, in health, in your finances, improvement in your relationships, and even in your career. These are normally things that we set our eyes on as December is winding down, and we set a date because when we set a date, it helps motivate us. If we say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, I'll do that tomorrow. So setting a date motivates us to say, okay, it's starting this date, I'm going to do this. And by the way, you have a bad habit, not only do you need to take that bad habit out of your life, but need to replace it with a good habit. Because if you don't, that bad habit will come back. And I'm speaking from experience. Perfect opportunity, you just didn't say anything. Okay. As we think about all the areas that we want to improve, the first question we must ask ourselves as a church and as an individual is where is God in that picture? And I pray for all of us that He is front and center. This new year is a great opportunity to commit your life to Christ and to follow Him. Recommit yourself to following Him. Recommit and growing in your relationship with God. Move on past the milk, as it says in Hebrews. Go down that meat, the firm stuff, to grow it in our relationship with Him. Or know that we can stand firm in times of difficulty and persecution. Our number one priority must be commitment to follow Christ in every area of our life. And when it comes to following Christ... There is one thing that we must never forget. It is there in the title of this sermon. Life is a gift from God. Your life, my life, does not belong to me. It belongs to Him. 
Even the unbeliever has to give God credit for him or her having life. Who's now allowing you to breathe oxygen into your lungs and breathe out carbon dioxide? Who's the one who commanded the sun to rise this morning and will command it to set? Who's the one that makes the rain come on our crops and we have food to eat and livestock so we can butcher and have steak and hamburgers and all the stuff we like to eat? Who does all that? It's not Walmart. It's God. God is the one who not only created this whole world, but he also sustains it. In our very life, we owe to him. Now look at our passage, a passage you're very familiar with. But look at verse number one, right out of the box. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you firmly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Now the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And we, you, were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the status of your life, my life, before coming to Christ in faith for salvation. Before Christ, we did not have life. We were dead. Although it looked like we were alive, that's really smoke and mirrors. We're the walking dead, if you will. Death is an alienation from God. It's characteristic result of sin's reign. And clearly he's speaking of spiritual death, but never forget, physical death is a result of sin. What did God tell Adam and Eve? When you partake of it, you will surely die. Death and sin enter the world. The reason why my body will give out one day is because of sin. Sin separates us from God. But he talks about trespass here. And that word trespass means to enter into a place you ought not to go. But it doesn't have to be intentional. It can be unintentional. There's a story about a guy who went up to D.C. And uh, he had a friend working up there. And he met his friend. He wanted to take him out to dinner. He didn't know Washington, D.C. very well. Now, if you've never been to D.C., it can be very confusing. Lanes just end. The blocks are very long. Sometimes it's hard to determine where you're at. When I'm there, when I've driven, I always look for the Washington Monument. If I know where the Washington Monument is, I can find my way around. But you get easily lost. But he picked up his friend. He's taking him to dinner, and he made a turn here and made a turn there. And his friend goes, oh, no, we shouldn't be here. What are we talking about? And before he got the next sentence, or he answered his friend, three cars pulled up in every direction. And they got out. He made a wrong turn and somehow ended in the parking spot of the Pentagon. 
You're not supposed to be there. There's a lot of security there. But here's the point I'm making. He didn't intentionally go into that parking lot. He made a mistake, but he was somewhere we ought not to be. And that's sin. Sin is just that. It can be intentional or unintentional. Our natural state outside of Jesus, if we can do the wrong thing, you better believe we're going to do it. And even if we do not intend to do the wrong thing, we do it anyway because sin is so much of our nature. We are tainted by sin. My wife, sitting right here, Tammy, most of you know her. The best relationship I can have this side of heaven. But guess what? We still have disagreements. Disagreements. I want to say argue, but we say disagreements this morning. Sometimes it's getting up in the morning. Why is that? Do I wake up intentionally going, how can I make Tammy mad at me today? No. It's because this relationship is tainted by sin. By nature, we are selfish. We want to think our way. And the life we're called to live is not a natural life. It's supernatural. We can only live this way by the gifting of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's the point here. By nature, we're like that. And we don't have Christ in our lives. We are dead. It's a simple question of life or death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You've heard this many times. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's guilty of sinning. Everybody has broken God's law. Everybody, and very easily, I'll say it once again. Has anyone in this room ever lied? If you're not raising your hand now, you're lying right now. Boom, there you go. We all are guilty of breaking God's law. Do not give false testimony. Do not do that in the Ten Commandments, and we've broken it. And look what it says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So if I'm a sinner, in that natural state, the result is going to be death. Not only physical death, but also spiritual death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in, our, in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes on to say about this trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. And walk is a reference to conduct of our moral life, good and bad. And the preposition in describes our conduct and morals. We walked in our transgressions and sins. We, we, that's who we were before coming to Christ. We, the course of this age, living in accordance with the standards of the world, a world that has not yet become subject to Christ, a world that could not abide in the presence of Christ, and a world that nailed the Son of God to a wooden cross. That was us before we came to Christ. That was all of us. And the reason we need to remember this so we don't go so high and holy and mighty that we start looking down our nose at everybody else. How do you expect a lost person to act if they do not know? We have to reach out with that compassion and remind ourselves we were once there. That was me. And I, I assure you, if you go back some years ago before I became a Christian, you would not look at me and go, there goes my, former, there goes my future pastor right there. No, you would not. As we start this new year, we must remind ourselves of what's we, where we came from and who saved us to ground us, keep us humble. He goes on to say, according to the prince of the power of the air, this is little doubt that this is a reference to Satan, although that word is not used. Perhaps designations were here or were more 
used more clearly with the Gentiles, we'll grab that. And ruling the air, and the air is where he rules, this power of the Spirit. Here on earth, he's having his way. These hostile forces to God are here. We're tempted. The evil one, we have an enemy. And by the way, the enemy is not sitting beside you this morning. The enemy is the devil, and he has one goal in mind. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy this church. That's his goal. And he'll do anything and everything to accomplish that goal. He'll bring up stuff from your past. He'll bring stuff up in, the, in your present and stuff up in your future. He does it by sometimes getting us to, to you know, we, we do gossip and bike fight and all these things. But he can use anything he possibly can to cause that to happen. We have to remember, especially at the beginning of the new year, recognize the enemy's tactics. Recognize where, where he's trying to get us and protect ourselves. What did Ephesians later tell us? Put on the whole armor of God. You must do that every single morning. He says we were indulging, literally doing the desires of the flesh. Now, desiring by itself is not bad, but what do we desire? As we start this new year, what do we truly desire? Do we desire a relationship with God? Do we want to experience God more? Or are we just happy with the status quo? Do we want to see the church grow, not just by numbers, but spiritual growth? What is it that we really want to see happen? And push every objection out of the way. Don't think about money or think about what is it? What's our true desire here? Our same desire should be the desire of our Lord when he says he doesn't want anyone to perish, but to all come to repentance. How far are we willing to go? How far are you willing to go? How far am I willing to go? He warns us in this passage by nature, we were children of wrath. I'm not talking about people's anger here, but God's wrath. God's wrath against those who break his law. But before we look at anybody else, and we say you're wrong, you're sinning, you're, you're going to have the wrath of God behind you, we need to take a long look at ourselves because it says we did the same thing in this passage. Look what it says. <clears throat> that you did it. That we're all guilty of it. But then we have a turning point in the text. But God. God's wrath shouldn't really surprise us. We break God's law. We deserve his wrath. The surprising part in the text is not that he has wrath, but he's not rich in wrath. What does the text tell us he's rich in? Look in your text. What does it say he's rich in? Mercy. Wow. God is rich in his mercy. His love is eternal. Not something revived and saving you and I from sin. His love has been at work since the foundation of the world. His love was at work in calling Israel. And his love is at work in the redemption of the world in Christ. He says he's rich of his mercy because even when we were dead, look in the text, in our transgressions and sin, he made us alive together. He revived us. He gave us life. You know, baptism... We have some water back here. Baptism is important. It's our first act of obedience. But baptism, just getting wet and coming up, is that all you're doing? doesn't mean anything. Your faith in Christ is what saves you. And what 
baptism shows is what's happened in your heart. You're dying to yourself. And you're dead. But then guess what happens? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raises you up, now you're a new creation, new creature. All things have passed away. Everything's become new. You're alive. And you have life more abundantly. Life is truly a gift from God. It tells us He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We have been joined with Christ, raised with Christ, and now we're seated with Christ. Nothing can come between us and our union with Christ. Nothing can take us out of His hands. Why did He do that? So in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace. God's raising of exulting believers together with Christ is the supreme, the supreme demonstration of His love and of His grace. Think about what we just covered very briefly. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we continued in that behavior. We didn't care about God. We could give or less about God. But God, still being rich in mercy, decided to do something about it. He sent His Son for you and for me. So before we get on our high and mighty horse, think about who we are and what we're doing, we have to remind ourselves who is the giver of life to begin with. It's God. Start with the very basic. The reason I can stand here and preach His Word is because of Him. He's the one that gives me the words to speak. He's the one that gives me life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Putting your trust, your conviction into God to bring about salvation flows from the source, which is God's superabundant love. And now you have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Let me chase this rabbit just for a second. We say we are saved, the past tense. Yes, you're right. A better word to use there is justification because when we say the word saved, it sounds like it's a one-time deal. You do it, and then you're done. No. Coming to Christ in faith and being baptized is just the beginning A better word to use there is justification. I am now justified in the eyes of God. His Christ's blood covers me. His righteousness now is imputed onto me. God doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me through the blood of Christ that cleanses and takes away all my sin. Now becomes the process of sanctification. What that simply mean is becoming more like Christ every day as individuals and as a church. Even if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 35 years, God is still calling you to do something in your life so you become more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. We'll never reach the point where you can sit down, we've done it all. There's always something new. There's always something else to deal with. That pressure point that you're feeling in your life right now is God saying, give it over to me. You haven't given it over to me fully yet. Let me have it. And God is so rich in mercy and so loving. He's very patient. I love the word that King James uses, long-suffering, because that's exactly what he is. And he longs for us to give it over to him. He he is so trustworthy. He demonstrates his worthiness time and time and time again. I mean, think about this, dear beloved. If we trust him with the most important decision that we can make, where will we spend eternity? Then why can't we trust him with the smaller things? 
where I work, who I'm going to marry, how I spend my time, what I watch on TV, what I listen to. All these decisions play a part in who we are. So as we start this new year, do you, do you desire to become more like Christ? And the next question that follows that up is, are you truly ready to give it all over to him, everything? See, my problem is I hold on too tight. Sometimes I just hold on too tight. Yeah, guy, I trust you for this and I trust you for that. But you know what? I just want to hold on for this a little bit longer. I think I can handle this. And how many times when I do that, it blows up in my face. Say, God, where were you at? Tell him I've been right here. I could have helped you with that, but you decided to do things your way, and look what happened. And that's true as individuals. It's also true as a church. This is, you've been saved by grace, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. None of us in this room can boast about how long we've been a Christian or what we've done. I can't boast the fact that I'm a pastor or a preacher. That, that there's nothing. I can't boast about anything because it's all God. If I should boast anything, what should I boast in? The cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we boast of anything in this church, let it be boast about the cross and the work of God as we see people come and join, people coming to salvation, people putting their spiritual gifts to work to build his kingdom. He speaks to that in our passage, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. See, salvation all is an act of God. Works is a result of salvation, not the means to attain it. The reason why we do what we do should not be for the applause of men. I shouldn't preach so I can think about anybody walking out telling me what a good job I did. I should do it for one reason only, in response with a grateful heart for what he's done for me. I mean, if someone like me, to stand up and preach and have people come to the guy, really, I'm worthy to do that? No, I'm not. Very humbling to think what God allows us to do. You, you, you have the answer that people are looking for, the answer of life and death. And He allows you those opportunities to tell somebody. You have an opportunity to maybe witness to them, tell them the gospel. Perhaps you have the opportunity to model the love of Christ before them any given day. All these opportunities that we're given time and time and time again. The question is where our allegiance lies. Because here's what I see happening. Now, every movie, you know, I love movies, but every analogy breaks down, so bear with me. There was a movie called The Karate Kid. I'm talking about the original one with Ralph Macchio and, um, I forget the other guy's name, he played Arnold in Happy Days years ago. And he was talking to his young student. He basically says, you know, you can walk on the left side of the road, you're okay. You can walk on the right side of the road, you'll be okay. Walk down the middle of the road, squish, just like grape. That's what's happening to a lot of Christians in our country. We're trying to put one foot here and one foot over here. And when crisis hit, we squish, just like a grape. We may ask ourselves right here now, where does our allegiance lie? 
My first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. I do pledge allegiance to this country, by the way, but my first allegiance is to him has to be. He has to come first in every area of my life. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This year, beginning right now, the fifth day of the year, we must answer that question. Where does our true allegiance lie as individuals and as a church? Because that's going to drive us and motivate us for what we do and how we do it. And when we talk about having 2020 vision, we have to start with a face in the mirror. Who do you see when you see yourself? Do you see someone who was once dead in their sins, an enemy of God, someone upon the very real wrath of God was hanging, but whom a merciful God saved and brought back to life? That's where we need to be as individuals, as a church, reminding ourselves it's all God. It's God who sustained us. God who brought us through this. And when we consider the coming year and the right orientation of our life, if we do not realize that the only reason we have a life to live is because of God being rich in mercy, we will never be able to order our life around Jesus. If we're not able to come to that fact and say the only reason I have life is because of God, we can never wrap our lives around Jesus and follow him the way he commands us. It's all Jesus. And it sounds so simple. We've heard it so many times, haven't we? Follow Jesus. We sing a song. It's in our hymn book. I surrender all. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? We're so worried about what we're saying. God's concerned about the heart. As I think about that, all to Jesus I surrender. And the refrain, I surrender. Oh, really? We do? Do we really surrender everything? Or do we still hold on to parts of our lives that we're just not ready to give over yet? Have we truly surrendered at all? If we do not do that, what's going to happen? A lot of self-help and a lot of failed attempts at good works. With the wrong motivation underlying our efforts, when it comes to following Christ, we cannot forget that life is a gift from God It does not belong to ourselves, but belongs to him. Where are you at today? Ask yourself this question. I'm going to repeat it again. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Do you see someone who was once dead in sin and trespasses that God in his rich mercy rescued? If you've experienced that, are you daily dying to yourself, the process of sanctification becoming more and more like Christ? Are you quick to give God the credit? You know, I, I was reading through the book of James the other day, and it reminded me of something. A lot of times I'll make plans with Tammy. I said, well, tomorrow we'll do this and tomorrow we'll do that. The book of James warns about talking like that. So you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Should be say, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. Our life is nothing but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And I stand here with every conviction in my bones and my soul and my heart. Do we wish more people were here this morning? Let's be honest. Of course we do. Why wouldn't we? Because numbers represent souls. 
God loves people. No way around that. Thank God he does. Don't happens to me, though. I'll go to Walmart after this to get mad at somebody. It happens. God loves people. We need to embrace that. And as I said, we, we like to see more people here, but in order to fulfill that and see that happen, we have to be loyal and faithful, cling to the Lord like we talked about last week, be committed, and remember, we were once lost too. This church is still here. After everything, all the years gone by, Forestburg Baptist Church is still here. People are still coming and visiting us, enjoying the church. How about that? You can't tell me God's through with this. He's not. But he's asking us a very serious question this morning. What are you, how far are you willing to go? Are you going to be faithful to me? Because your very life does not belong to you. It belongs to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. May we never get over the fact that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, we've heard that passage so many times and I'm concerned that we never really stop and think about it too much anymore. Like everything else you've blessed us with, there's a tendency to take it for granted. And Father, I pray that may it never be that way. May we always have a sense of wonder and awe when we think about your love and about your grace and your mercy. And Father, I pray today, if there's anyone in this room that's never given their life to you, to place their trust and their faith in your Son as your Lord and Savior, this would be the day they would do that. And for those who have done that at one point in their life, Father, I know there's always something more to give. There's always something else to work on that we can be more like your son. So, Father, we continue to invite you here and continue to work and to hold that mirror up to each and every one of us so that we may become more like Christ as individuals and as a church so we can point people to you. We're not boast in what we've done, but, Father, may we boast in everything you are, you have done, you are doing, and what you will do in the future. Father, continue to move and draw people unto yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.